Welcome everybody to Equipping the Body. I'm Dr. Brad Starnes and we are continuing through the book of James and this is a sermon that I preached a couple weeks ago I believe and I'm so excited to share it with you. It's from James chapter 1 verses 17 and 18 and so we've been going through the book of James here at Cedar Shoals on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and I hope this will be a blessing to you. We sang a song a while back, uh, as we always try to sing at least one hymn, a service, and the song was, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And before I read the text, I want you to think about this line from that famous hymn. It says, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not, as thou hast been, thou forever will be. That entire verse describes the immutability of God. And it belabors my point that I've been making in the pulpit for several weeks that God never, ever changes. So once again, we go back to James chapter 1, verse 17, and we're looking at the second phrase after the first comma. And it says this, And comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation, or shadow of turning, and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Now previously we saw how James described the fact of God's grace and that all good gifts come from above, and therefore as he said even before that, no one can ever say God tempted them with sin. God cannot be tempted with sin, neither does he tempt others to sin. James is saying in plain language, God does not cause you to sin. On the contrary, he only gives good gifts. Now, we realize that our definition of good gifts and his are radically different, and I've already dealt with that. And so now he goes on to describe the source of these good gifts being God himself. They come down from the Father of lights. Now, that word lights in the Greek is phos, and it means light, but it also means anything that emits lights or light. So God is the father of the heavenly lights of the sun, the moon, and the stars. This really reminds us of how big and dominating God is versus how small and insignificant we are. No wonder David wrote, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? Psalms chapter 8, 3 through 4b. Have you ever stopped to just look around at God's creation around you and consider how vast and beautiful and large and amazing it truly is? We think of the Grand Canyon, the sun, the moon, Mount Everest, the Gobi Desert. The list goes on and on. Think of outer space and all the planets and just, just all of it. And God is over all of it. He is the father of the heavenly lights. He dominates creation. He does what he wants, when he wants, and however he wants, and he's always right. Most wonderful of all, he's always good. Now, he dominates the lights of creation because he created them. He spoke them into existence. All the way back in Genesis, we find this truth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and the darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the fa face of the waters. And then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. 
God called the light day and the darkness he called night, and so the evening and morning were the first day. That's Genesis 1, 1 through 5. He is the creator of the lights, and that's why he tells them what to do. Let me give you an Old Testament example of God being the father of lights. In the book of Joshua, chapter 10, we find a miracle of God causing the sun to stand still and to shine for two days as opposed to its normal time cycle to allow Joshua to continue the battle and win the victory. Joshua 10, 14 states this, Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for a whole day. And there has been no day like that before it or after it that the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. The Father of lights controls the lights of creation. Amen. But I believe James has something else in mind here in a spiritual sense. In the scripture, light is always associated with Christ and goodness and righteousness in the kingdom of God. Darkness, however, is used metaphorically to describe sin, the devil, and his minions. He's called the prince of darkness, evil, wickedness. For example, John 1, we find this, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. This light, of course, is referring to Jesus himself. And Jesus claimed in John eight twelve, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. These are but a few examples of what I believe James intends us to see spiritually is that not only is God literally the king of the universe and the heavenly lights and its creator, but also to see God in a high moral view because he is spiritually pure, good, wonderful, and in every way perfect. When I consider this truth, my mind goes back to 1 John 1 5, which states this. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now that we have explained the phrase Father of lights, whom James, I may remind you, tells us is the source of all good gifts, and just a snapshot from last week, what is the greatest gift the Father of lights has given us? Himself, through Jesus Christ, God incarnate. So we see he's the Father of lights, yes, literally, but also spiritually. He is the light. He is morally pure. He is ethically perfect. God is righteous, and in him is no sin, no darkness at all. And we see how perfect he is. The next phrase makes complete sense. James writes, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. James plays of the Father of Light's metaphor to describe God's immutability. Now that word immutability, you'll read that in uh, commentaries or, uh, Lord, we heard it all the time in semina uh, seminary. I about called it cemetery. It felt like that sometimes. But in systematic theology, we talk about the immutability of God. It just means that he never changes. He never turns nor changes. Now light, when it turns, it casts a shadow. That's why I said there's no variation, no shadow of turning. God never changes or turns. Why? Because he's already perfect. You see, when something is perfect, it doesn't need to change because the definition of perfection is just that, complete, perfect. If we needed to change something, it's to make it better, but you cannot improve upon perfection. Therefore, God has no need to change because he's already perfect. Scripture declares elsewhere that God does not change. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
Malachi 3, 6, for I am the Lord, I do not change. So Old Testament or New Testament, the message is the same God does not change. He is the same always, he is perfect, he is holy, and he is good. He is unchanging in his character. From the beginning, God has been concerned with his own holiness. And when Adam and Eve sinned, there had to be a penalty for sin because God is holy and cannot, nor will he, tolerate sin. This is part of the reason why he expelled them from the Garden of Eden. So he is unchanging in his character. He's unchanging in his will. God's will from the beginning was to have a people for himself. Isaiah 66, 1. Thus says Jehovah, heaven is my throne and the earth the footstool for my feet. Where then is the house that you will build for me and where is my place of rest? God desired to be with his people. And we know when Israel failed, God, of course, he didn't catch him by surprise. He already had it planned that he opened the floodgate for all, Jew or Gentile, through the person of Jesus Christ. And that plan never changes. God's will to have a people with himself never changes. Revelation 21.3, even after it's all said and done, Revelation 21.3 says this, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. So that's just one example. God's will never changes because his will is perfect. This is one of my favorites. He's unchanging in his love towards the elect. God will never change his feelings toward the loved people that come to him in faith and repentance. I think Paul said it best in Romans 8, 35 through 39. He said this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us. Now he's talking to saved people. Paul saved us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're saved, you're saved today, you're saved tomorrow. God, Jesus, let me just tell you what Jesus said. That'll clear it up. Jesus said, All that the Father given to me shall come unto me, and he that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. Jesus said, And his Father is greater than he, and no man can pluck them who believe from his Father's hand. God will never change his attitude towards his children. Never. And that's the amazing part about it. Now for a culturally relevant point. He is unchanging in his word. Oh, man, we, we see this in the church. We change our standards on uh, all sorts of things, but God hasn't. The Bible never changes. I've been confronted with this more times than one because I take a strong stand against homosexuality and against gender roles being reversed in the church and in society and in the home. And they say, well, pastor, we know what the Bible says, but come on. Well, I, I'm not coming on anywhere. God's word never changes because it's perfect. He don't need to change because he was right the first time when he said it. Psalms 119.89 Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Now that doesn't make a difference whether it's settled with you or not. It's settled in heaven. It'll stand. You say, well, how? I don't know if it'll stand, Pastor. Times are changing. Well, Jesus said this. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, 
one jot or one tittle will by no means pass away from the law till all is fulfilled. Jesus shared the same view that God's word is authoritative and unchanging. You want more proof? For I testify to everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. That's Revelation 22, 18 through 19. Ladies and gentlemen, we live in a day where even those who claim to be Christians want us to change the word of God. They want us to get with the times. I'm not trying to get with the times. I'm trying to get with Christ. And we need to make sure that we don't kowtow to the culture, but that we capitulate to the Christ. God's word said that marriage is between a man and a woman. Therefore, marriage is between a man and a woman. God's word said that any sexual activity outside of monogamous marriage between a biological man and woman is sin, and therefore it is sin. God's word said that pastors are to be men, and therefore they're to be men. These are but a few examples. God's word said he hates the hands of those that shed innocent blood. Therefore, abortion will always be murder. It doesn't matter what the culture says. God's word don't change. And if you're a Christian, you don't have any choice but to submit your life to the word of God because he is unchanging. Therefore, his word is unchanging because of his perfection. Jesus said it plainly. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Not if you love me, change my commandments to suit your opinion. Oh, be it that we were far more concerned with the opinion of God than the opinion of man. God's word doesn't change. He was right the first time. Change indicates something is lacking or needs improvement. Let me put it as the way Granny used to say it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. We see the unchanging God, the Father of lights. There's no shadow of turning, no variation. His word's unchanging. His will is unchanging. His character is unchanging. His attitude towards the church is unchanging. And for this very reason, we must take a hard stand today that we will not change our doctrine to appease the culture. Now, I understand styles change. I, I preach in blue jeans sometimes. That's okay. I understand that music changes. A lot of the songs we play have a piano, some of them have a guitar, some of them are upbeat, some of them are old hymns, some of them are new praise songs. That's fine, but doctrine and what we believe, we cannot change that because it's perfect because it came from God. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired of God. It's God-breathed. And before you try to change the scripture, you better ask yourself if you're willing to stand before God and explain to him why you thought you knew better than he does. I wouldn't want to be in those shoes, and I hope you wouldn't either. But you know, there's something else at play here. As we talk about the fact that God never changes, and we've looked at that, you can trust someone that never changes. You see, people change. People make mistakes. We see people that change sometimes for the better and sometimes for the worse. It's hard to trust a wishy-washy person, isn't it? Because you never know what you're going to get. But, friend, you can trust God because with God you always know what you're going to get because he never, ever changes. 
So it should create a sense of trust in the heart of a Christian to know that God never changes. He is the immutable God. And I hope you'll join us next time as we continue through the book of James. God bless you.